<clears throat> those are uh, sober words and big questions, especially for a, a celebration service, as Jason said here on Easter. Who can, who can fix a broken life or a forgotten life or a neglected life? We are here, uh, as even um, I think uh, Pete prayed a few minutes ago, you know, celebrating the resurrection with churches all over the world, certainly all over our, our city, because we believe that the resurrection has changed history, right? We've been celebrating this for 2,000 years, but the resurrection is also supposed to change us, right? It's supposed to change me, and it's supposed to change you, and that's really at the heart of what the gospel says. That's the, really the heart of the gospel claim, not so much simply that historically uh, uh, a, a person named Jesus died on a cross or miraculously rose from the dead, but that his resurrection um, takes place in your life. He, his death means, if we take the Bible seriously, no death for you or me, ultimate. His resurrection is our resurrection, the Bible says. You cannot earn it. You don't deserve it. And there's nothing you can do to change it. You just have to believe it. But even that, I would say to you, requires God's help. We're going to look in the, in this, this morning here on Easter Sunday, this Easter, at Mark's version of the resurrection story, the gospel of Mark. You can open if you have a Bible in your lap or follow behind me. And I chose Mark's version this year because I thought it's a lot like a version that is each of the gospels, you know, have a different uh, account for different um, events and, and a different narration of the resurrection story. But I would say Mark's um, seems to me to be written a lot like someone might write it for an audience today, 2,000 years uh, after the event, that is an audience, as we'll see in, this, in these verses, that has a hard time believing in miracles at all, uh, particularly a miracle like the resurrection. Mark chapter 16, if you have a copy, verses 1 through 8, follow along as I read. When the Sabbath was over... Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, who will roll away the stone from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Mark's gospel of the four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, is the only one that has no resurrection appearances of Jesus. This is how it ends. They were troubled, trembling and bewildered. They didn't say anything to anyone, uh, and they were afraid, right? And, the, and there's, there's some conspicuous absences here as well, right? Three times... Now, we see these three women, I should say this first, Mary Magdalene, uh, Mary the mother of James, and Salome. We've heard their names before, but what about the 12 disciples, right? 
Where are they? Three times in this gospel, just not too far from where we are now, once in chapter 8, once in chapter 9, and once in chapter 10, but within, you know, weeks of this event, Jesus very clearly looked at his disciples and was without any figurative language, without any, you know, metaphor, he said, listen, I'm going to be arrested I'm going to be crucified, but I'm going to rise on the third day. Now, Jesus said that to them. Can you imagine after spending all that time with him, if you were his disciple, and that's a pretty, you know, uh, um, amazing claim, but they'd seen Jesus do some amazing things. They'd seen Jesus, you know, feed 5,000s of people. They'd seen Jesus even raise the dead, Lazarus. So they knew Jesus had power. They'd given their lives to follow him. Wouldn't you think... That if Jesus said, I'm going to die and I'm going to raise on the third day, right? And count to three, right? One, two, three. That they would be there, but they're not there. And not only are they not there, no, no evidence of the disciples at all in all of four of the Gospels. But who is there is these three women. And there's been several people, scholars, who have said the very fact that the way this is written that it would write in the failed disciples, number one, they're not there, and also that it would talk about women being there proves, as an evidence, that this is not a made-up story because nobody was making up the gospel story, right? As if it was a fairy tale, if it was somebody trying to cook up a religion. No one would write in the failed 12 disciples, and no one, especially in Jesus' day, would put the three people that actually show up for the resurrection, women, because in Jesus' day, women were not credible sources of information. They couldn't testify in court. They couldn't vote. There's one guy, his name is Celsus. You've never heard of him. He was a second century um, Greek philosopher, but he was, very, he was very against the Christian church, and he wrote openly against the Christian church, and he said this, Christianity can't be true because the written accounts of the resurrection are based on the testimony of women, and we all know that women are hysterical. That's what he said. Now, if you've never heard of Celsius, maybe that's why, right? But this is what, this is what um, many scholars have said. Right? If, this is the, if this is the testimony of the early church, where are the 12 disciples? And I guess the point is this, right? This is my first point. I want to I encourage you depending on what your background is, right? This idea of God's son being risen from the dead, it's too, it sounds too good to be true, right? In a way, let's admit that it sounds too good to be true. And I think it was just as hard for the early um, you know, followers of Jesus. It was just as hard for the people in Jesus' day as it is for the people in our day. Right? Look at the women who were there, trembling and bewildered. They, too, heard Jesus prophesy his resurrection. What gives? They were, they were confused and they were afraid and they didn't tell anybody what they had seen. It was difficult. I'm convinced that people today have a hard time believing in the resurrection because they have become so convinced in a world that is so jaded, right? So against believing anything. Most people today, I think, have a very hard time believing in any miracle, certainly the resurrection, because they are convinced that the world, the broken world that we live in, is the only world they're ever going to have. And that's why people, maybe some of us, right? That's why some of us hold, hold on to our money or our possessions with such, you know, uh, so tightly because we think these are the only possessions, these are the, this is the only wealth we're ever going to have. 
Some of us hold on to our looks as much as we can, as long as we can, because we think this is all that we're ever going to have. But Jesus' resurrection is a sign to us, an evidence to us, if we have the, the capacity to believe that there's another world. You know, John's, um, John the Baptist, who was Jesus' cousin, and he was the forerunner of Jesus, he was thrown in prison. And he was in prison while Jesus' ministry was starting. And he sent one of his messengers to go cease to, to, to ask Jesus a question. He only heard from, you know, they didn't have an internet. They didn't have smartphones. He's in prison. They're from, he was from a different part of Palestine than Jesus was. He had just heard the word, the grapevine, about the, the miracles of Jesus. And he said, send one of his messengers. Are you the one that we should be waiting for? Are you the Messiah? And Jesus didn't give him a direct answer. And they, Jesus said back to this messenger, he said, listen, go tell John what you have seen, that the blind receive their sight, that the deaf hear, and that the dead have been raised. In other words, the kingdom of God that Jesus had prophesied, God's world that he was bringing into reality, was being realized. And I would say to you this, you know, the resurrection, it's supposed to change us too. God did not send his son into the world to make you better, right? The Bible is not the seven habits for you know, highly effective, more effective people. He didn't send his son into the world to make you better. He sent his son into the world to make you new. That's what the Bible says, right? To make you new. And the point of all the miracles of Jesus was the eventual healing of all relationships in creation, our relationship to God, our relationship to nature, our relationship to others, and our relationship to ourselves. And to the extent that that future is real to you, you it will change everything about how you live in the present. This is how the resurrection changes your life and my life. Now, there's one ray of light in this passage. Verse 7, right? It's pretty somber. These women come. Not, they do come. We have to give them credit for coming, but they're not coming to, to, to see if a man has been risen from the dead, right? They're coming with spices to anoint his body. So the 12 disciples didn't show up, and even these three women who do are not expecting to see someone raised from the dead. But the one ray of light is this man, young man dressed unnamed in a white robe, and he says, listen, go tell the disciples and Peter, he's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Now take a minute to appreciate what this man says, right? A lot has taken place in the last few days. And he, wants to, he has to say, listen, not only is it a miracle to, that Jesus rose from the dead, look, he says, this, he's not here. He points to the place where Jesus' body was. Not only were they bewildered and not only were they trembling and surprised that Jesus wasn't there, but I think they were surprised by what the angel said. And didn't say, go tell the disciples and Peter, he's going ahead of you into Galilee. Because in the last 24 hours, right, everyone in that sentence, it says all the disciples, when Jesus was arrested, every single one of them deserted him and fled. And Peter, right, the chief, the guy who spoke the loudest, the guy who was clearly the leader of the followers of Jesus, had denied openly that he even knew Jesus, right? Three times. And the last time, just in a chapter or two before this, when Jesus is confronted by these other, you know, um, uh, 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 
people that were arresting Jesus, these other followers outside of the temple courts, he, Jesus, it says, Peter cursed um, down uh, multiple times and said, I have never met the man. I don't even know who he is. Right? I mean, a complete and total failure. And yet, this man dressed in a white robe, maybe this angel, never mentions the fact that the disciples deserted Jesus, never mentions the denials of Peter. He simply says, go tell the disciples and Peter that what Jesus said to you, that he's going to meet you in Galilee, he means it and he's there. Now, when you look, here's the point. Jesus knew the disciples were going to desert him. In fact, he doesn't, I don't, that's not just me preaching. He says it um, just before in chapter 14. They're all together, and he says these words, verse 27 of chapter 14. The shepherd will be smitten, and the sheep will scatter. And not only did he predict that the disciples would desert him, you know that he predicted that Peter would deny him. Jesus knew in advance the disciples would, not, would, would, would desert him. Jesus knew in advance that Peter would deny him. And what this verse tells you is he loved them anyway, right? He loved them anyway. He says, listen, God hasn't changed his plan. God doesn't, God, Jesus says, I'm going to meet you in Galilee after I rise. And he sent the, this young man to say, go to Galilee where I said you're going to go. I want you to think for a minute about your own life, right? Peter was a spectacular failure. I don't know how else you could read the end of Mark's gospel. This is not a small thing. This is a public humiliation, so much so that this guy says in verse 7, go and tell the disciples and Peter. Wasn't Peter a member of the disciples? Well, he was until this time because Peter's failure was so great that this messenger said, listen, I know Peter is going to have checked himself. No one even sees him as a disciple anymore. He has failed so publicly that he's not even going to consider himself a disciple. So he says, go to tell the disciples and Peter um, that I'm going to meet you in Galilee. But God loved them anyway. Think about your life. I would be willing to bet there are some people in this room who have experienced a spectacular failure in your life, right? A failure that you might have experienced in your life that you said to yourself when that failure happened, maybe in your marriage, maybe in your career, maybe in your reputation, or maybe just the failure of never amounting to what you thought your life was going to be like. You said to yourself, I will never recover from that failure. And maybe some of you have not, maybe you have. But the truth is we have all failed God. We have all failed other people. We have all failed ourselves. For some of us, it might have been 30 years ago. For some of us, it might be last month. But let me say this. Let's be honest this morning. For anyone in this room who might think that their failure is beyond the scope of God's love, I want to challenge you. If you'd say, you know, Rob, pastor, I have had a failure. I have failed God in my life. I have failed others in my life. I have failed myself. I want you just to raise your hand, just right here this morning. Just raise your hand. All right. Now keep your hand up just for a minute, right? And if you have any doubt about whether or not God has room for your failure, look at the hands in this room here this morning. You can put your hand down. It was, it was the angel 
in the words of the angel that lies the promise for forgiveness and restoration of a renewed call and a fresh start. Go and tell his disciples and Peter, right? The same is true for us. God knows your failures. God knows my failures before they happen. But what the Bible tells us, what this passage tells us, is he loves you anyway, right? You cannot earn it. You don't deserve it. And there's nothing you can do to change it. You know, actually, the greatest evidence for the resurrection, if you think about it, right? There's no resurrection appearances here in Mark chapter 16. But the greatest evidence, actually, is what happens to these people, even these men who don't even show up. Those who deserted him, all 12 of the disciples, and Peter, the leader who denied him. One of the greatest evidence is what happens next. And Peter the Apostle, who doesn't even show up, does no longer considers himself even a disciple, 50 days later from the resurrection of Jesus, it's called Pentecost in the book of Acts, after he is restored by the love of Jesus, not only restored by Jesus' love, but he's put back in a position of leadership. He's salvaged, right? God didn't just come to Peter and say, I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to forget what you did. He said, no, Peter, listen, feed my sheep. I want to restore you to a place of leadership, the kind of leadership that's not like the leadership you had before you failed. It's much greater. And 50 days later, Peter preaches a sermon in Acts chapter 2 in the city of Jerusalem. It's recorded in the Bible. Three thousand people become believers the church of jesus christ has started in that one sermon and within 300 years this little movement called the christian church covers almost the entire roman empire and you and i are here as a part of it 2000 years later right that's unbelievable that's unbelievable in peter a great failure becomes a great leader because he grasps God's grace in a great way, right? He was salvaged for a whole new purpose. And the point of this message is the point of, the, of us being here this morning is the resurrection is supposed to change us too. God has a purpose for your life. God has a purpose for, you, for my life. He wants to salvage your life too. Not simply save you from your sins, but give you a whole new purpose for living, right? I know that's true for me. You know, I... I I'm uh, friends with some pastors in town, four or five of us of, of the church, larger churches in, in, in Rochester, and we get together all the time. And the one thing that's unique about me to these men, right, there's many things, but one thing is I'm the only one of these five guys I have lunch with who's actually from the city of Rochester. All these guys are from somewhere else, right? So what happens, it's, it's easy, it's not easy, but it's one thing to come into a new town, right, and, you know, get up here and do what I'm doing when nobody really knows your past life. But for me, I've been back in Rochester for 12 years now. I run into people all the time who know me, let's say, before I became a Christian, right? I was in the gym just this week, and I see this guy who I went to high school and grade school with, and I've seen, I, we small talk a lot um, since I've been at this particular gym. And he said to me, he says, hey, I ran into so-and-so. I went out with him the other night, this old and very close mutual friend of mine. He goes, oh, yeah. And he goes, he told me about your Get this, seventh grade class trip that you guys went on. He, goes, he told me how you guys went to Grand Island and how you brought something on the bus you weren't supposed to bring. 
And because you brought something on the bus you weren't supposed to bring, everyone had to uh, uh, leave the trip early and go back home. I thought, really? And he said, do you remember that? And I said, well, I remember it now, you know, <laughs> that you're telling me, right? Well, here's the point. This person, Rob Catalani, was a great failure who's become a pastor because I've grasped God's grace in a great way, right? That can be true for you, and that can be true for me. He loves you anyway, and lastly, what this passage tells us is he can change you too, but you have to go to him. And what's so great about this passage, right, as I said, it's, it's, like, it's kind of a cliffhanger. Mark's gospel is a cliffhanger in the sense that Jesus, we never see resurrection appearances. Now, this was written years after Jesus rose from the dead. This was written for the church. But I think Mark's purpose for those who he wrote it to and for us is it leaves things open because we have to make a decision, right? Go and tell his disciples and Peter he's going ahead of you in the galley. Therefore, you need to go see him just as he told you. But those disciples who may have been discouraged because of their defection, Peter, who certainly, the Bible says, wept and went away and decided he wasn't a disciple, he had a decision he needed to make. God wasn't holding that failure over his head. God wasn't holding that um, denial over his head. The angel just said, listen, go and meet him. But he was holding it over his head, right? And the same goes for you and me. God loves you anyway. That's what the Bible says. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. There's nothing you can do about it. But you have to decide that you're going to get out of your own way. Go and tell his disciples and Peter, he's going ahead of you into Gilead. Therefore, you will see him just as he told you. Am I willing, are you willing, on this Easter Sunday, to take God at his word? I'll tell you the problem with a lot of Christians let me speak for just a minute to anyone who's a Christian in the room here today. It's not believing in the resurrection. That is to say the historical resurrection. You're here, 815 on, a, on an Easter Sunday. I would imagine many of you, this is not your first. It may be your, your, your 20th, your 30th, your, or more time that you've been church on an Easter Sunday. You believe in the historical resurrection of Jesus. You just don't believe in your own right? And if you don't believe in God's power bringing about his life and yours, that's probably the reason that people are not following you, people in your neighborhood, people in your office, to church on a Sunday morning because they don't see the resurrection life of Christ in you. Peter understood it. Peter was willing to go to Galilee. And some of you know the story. He sat there on the beach, dejected and discouraged. And Jesus Christ not only said, I love you, Right? I'm not whole. I love you anyway. But you need to get over yourself and you need to get back on the saddle and you need to feed my sheep. Right? God can do that for you and God can do that for me. Right? We have to be willing to take Jesus at his word and he wants to salvage your life and he can put together a broken life. Whether or not you had great parents, whether or not you had a great education, doesn't matter. But you got to be willing to let go of your self-pity or your resentments or a defeated life. I think some people that I know have, are, have said no for so long to go to meet Jesus in some new place in your life. You've said no for so long that you don't even hear yourself saying it anymore. Right? 
What happened with Peter is this. He was willing to exchange his view of himself. I'm a failure, right? I'm, I'm not, I didn't just sin. I'm a sinner. That's who I am. I am a failure. He was willing to exchange his view of himself for God's view. The Bible calls this repentance, and it's what enhances the flow of God's love into your life. It's how you change, and it's how the resurrection comes into your life, into my life. You just need to decide that you're going to do it. You need to decide you're going to take God's word, verse 7, just as he told you, on you and not your own. And you need to do that every day. But there's no better day to do it than Easter Sunday to decide that you're going to allow God to salvage your life, not only forgive you of your sin, but to restore you to a place uh, for his greater purposes. Now, let me lastly, let me say something to anyone who's a, who's a non-Christian in the room. You're not a, a Christ follower. You're here on Easter Sunday. Let me say this. Without any... I hope as clear as I can. You know, what is the gospel? The death and resurrection of Jesus. It's God's gift to you. His death means no death for us, ultimate spiritual death. His resurrection is our resurrection. It is too good to be true, but it is true. He does love you anyway, and he can change you too, but you need to receive it. You need to receive it. You have to decide to humble yourself, to open your life and receive it. To as many as received him, John 1, 12, to them he gave power to become the sons and the daughters of God. I would strongly encourage you, make Easter Sunday 2017 the first day of the rest of your life and allow the resurrection life to come into your life for the very first time. Let's pray together. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. And let me quickly just ask this. This is for all the Christians in the room. If you would say this morning, it's between you and God, but if you'd say, you know, Rob, I'm a Christian, been a Christian for a long time, but in a manner of speaking, I've been saying no to Jesus about meeting him in a new place in my life, in my marriage, in what he's called me to do. I've been saying no for so long that I don't even hear myself saying it anymore. I've defined myself by my failures. I've defined myself by my sin. But I want to take, I want to believe what God says about me today and not what I say about me. I want to make this a day where I open my life for God not only to, to acknowledge, affirm his forgiveness, but to accept the fact that he wants to restore me, to give me a new purpose for my life. If that's true for you, just raise your hand, just as a commitment, wherever you are, thank you, thank you. Thank you very much, all over the auditorium. If you're not a Christian, that is to say, you've never, you've heard of Jesus, you've heard of the Bible, you've been to church before some, but you've never received his forgiveness as a gift. You've never fully understood that his, in his death, we have the promise of no death spiritually, and his resurrection is our resurrection. You've never experienced the forgiveness of sin as God's gift. I want to encourage you simply to ask for it in the privacy of your own heart. That's what the Bible says. If we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus, 
and believe in our hearts, it's just belief, that God has raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. All you need to do is to turn from an attitude of I'm not worthy, I'm not good enough, I'm going to make it on my own, and open your heart to God's love and forgiveness. That's all you need to do and believe. So I'm going to pray with you. Pray silently in your, in your seat where you are, just these words in your own heart. If you feel Lord is leading you in this way. God, thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross for my sin. Thank you that he conquered death and the penalty of sin. He rose from the dead and has offered me the forgiveness of sin and a whole new way of life. Forgive me of all my sin. Enter my life and be my Lord, be my Savior. Everyone is still, uh, eyes are closed, but if you, if you prayed that prayer, I wouldn't challenge you just to raise your hand wherever you sit here this morning, just quickly. Thank you very much. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Father, I thank you for everyone in this room. I thank you for the miracle of the resurrection, that 2,000 years later, we can stand here with confidence and still receive your grace, your power, and this new life. I pray for everyone in this room, first for those of us who are believers, have been for years. Lord, help us to walk out of here today with a strong belief, a stronger belief that the resurrection is here to change us too. Help us to open our lives. Help, our, to, uh, help repentance to be a way of life that we, it might enhance the flow of your grace into our lives today. And for anyone here who may be prayed to receive your grace for the very first time, Lord, may you um, confirm your presence in their lives. May you um, give them the joy uh, of the spirit that you've promised. And Lord, I pray that you would um, make yourself um, known to them uh, today, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Two quick things I want to say before we head out. Um, one is, I'm going to be in the gym uh, in, uh, in a minute or two. Hope you're not in a hurry. There's lots of good food and fun there. But if you've made a decision of any kind, maybe it's a decision to um, allow Christ to salvage your life in a new way. Maybe it's a decision as a Christian um, to not harbor any uh, uh, you know, self-pity or resentment and that you really want to open your life. I'd love to know about it. And if you've made a decision, maybe for the first time, to open your life to the forgiveness of Christ, I'd love to know about that as well and even perhaps give you um, a Bible or some, um, something to help you and take a next step. Well, it, it, it's a journey, and today is the first day. And second, if you don't, I think Pete mentioned this, if you don't, some of you, obviously you're here, I'll see you hopefully next week, but some of you, if you're here and you don't have a church home, I want to encourage you, and really all of us, um, to come back as we start a new series next week. You can watch this brief uh, video. Look to the left of you. Look to the right. Someone very different than you could be on either side. People who are different, 
who wouldn't normally be grouped into any group together. This is Christ. He is the link. He said, love others. He made it sound easy because it's easy to love someone who is just like yourself. But that isn't what this is. This is hard. This is different. This is us. God has created us to be in relationships. First, most off, with God himself. But also, as I think of myself, I'm a spouse. I'm a father of two, soon to be three children. I'm a son, I'm a teacher, and I'm a member of this church. And though I'd like to think that all of those relationships are really easy, we all know that relationships can often be difficult. So we want to invite you back next week as we start a seven-week series on how Christ has called us to grow and mature in our relationships.